Good morning. Read with me, please. Second um, Timothy one one through seven. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith a faith that dwells first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, what a great song that is. That um, Just a reminder that we were uh, dead and lost. We were enemies. But God, rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ Jesus. And I thank you, God, for that glorious truth that, that we just can't stop talking about, we can't stop singing about. Um, and that's your amazing mercy that, um, that even though we deserved uh, eternal separation, that you uh, came and rescued us. We thank you, Jesus, that you lived the perfect life that we couldn't and can't live. We thank you that you went to the cross and bore all of our sins and the guilt of our sin and that you victoriously rose again from the death, that you uh, won the victory for us that we are ones on this side of uh, the finish line, this side of, of death, that have um, a great hope, a great hope in e- of eternal life um, in Christ Jesus our Lord. And uh, Lord, I just pray for, for the body here this morning. Lord, I pray that as we um, unpack your word, I pray that, um, that you'd mold our hearts, uh, that we would... Um, want to, that we'd know more about your love for us and that we would want to respond in joyful obedience, not to gain anything. Lord, we know that we already possess everything in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd continue to use us as a body for your glory and that many people might know the name of the risen Christ. And God's people said, amen. Good morning. It's good to be up here this morning. We get to start a new book. We're starting um, Tim, uh, Paul's second letter to Timothy. And it'll be, uh, I think, an eight, nine-week, maybe ten-week sermon series. Today we're going to teach through chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 that Heidi just read. And uh, I'm excited about it. Um, First Timothy was a great book. Uh, Really enjoyed it. I mean, it's it's God's Word. I would say that that Second Timothy is a little bit more practical, though. It's really um, written to, like, uh, normal people like you and I. And I'm I'm just jazzed for what the Lord's doing in my own heart, and I just pray that that you'll be ministered to um, over this, in this series the same way that God's already ministered to me. We titled the sermon series, Finishing the Race. And this uh, sermon today, I've, uh, it's called Fanning the Flame. And you'll see more why it's called that as we go through it. 
This morning I um, woke up, came into the church office early and was just a reading and praying and writing, doing some of my last minute stuff that I do um, every Sunday morning. And, um, and the, the, the orange sun came up, I think, because of the, uh, because of the smoke. Um, it was calm. There was no wind, no rain. It was just beautiful and peaceful. And I, was just, I was thanking God for it. And then Nancy came in to the office, and she, she didn't ruin it. Um, she, she's actually calm herself. It's my wife, Nancy. But she came in, and I said, honey, um, you were, like, restless all night last night. Like, what was the deal? Um, she goes, I couldn't stop talking. I couldn't stop thinking about Hurricane Irma. She was doing that in her sleep. And then we just prayed together. And as I was praying, I was reminded that even though um, the this, this sun comes up every morning in the east, and we live in Windsor, Colorado, um, that is a, there's not a lot happening here that's bad. I mean, you can look inside people's houses and there's people sick, there's people dying, but we live in a place where there's no persecution, um, there's no hurricanes, there's no flooding, there were no um, skyscrapers that were destroyed, um, like we're going to remember 9-11 tomorrow. And it was just, it struck me that even though um, my life is calm, that there's a lot of unrest all around me. Um, we did a wedding last night. Um, Kevin and Elaine from this church, Kevin Haynes and Elaine Michaels got married, uh, which is really cool. It was just a testimony of God's grace. And as we were there last night, I, I met a man. Uh, actually, I was in the food line, and he had an oxygen tank on, and he just he put his arm around me, and he said, hey, would you pray for me? And I go, yeah, what's, what's up? And he says, you know, I, I'm here today, but my wife of 47 years died last month. He says, it's really hard for me to be here right now. Even though I love Kevin and Elaine, uh, I miss my wife. And there was another young lady that Nancy and I were talking to that, at the wedding that's been in Colorado for two years. Um, and she has a 15-year-old daughter that is uh, smoking weed. She has, wants nothing to do with church. And this lady was grieving. It just reminded me that even though my life is smooth, that there's people around us. In all, you don't have to look too far. But there's calamity all around us. There's, there's, the, there's Lawn and Val from last night. There's the Houston hurricane victims that are going to be forgotten about because of Irma coming in. There's people in Miami that are going to lose everything. There's people that are still grieving. How many years ago from 9-11 because of the loss? There's, we don't have to look much further than Nancy's sister, Lori, who's bedridden. And her 84-year-old dad, who can hardly walk. It just, I'm just reminded that, that I live my life sometimes in the proverbial hot tub rather than on the warship or on the, in the race or on the, on the cruise ship rather than the warship. And, and, I, and I want to be careful here because God gives us great blessings to enjoy. I hope, you, I hope, you, I hope we talk about that enough. That God gives, there's common grace that every human being gets to enjoy of family and health and the, the beauty of the Colorado mountains. But we oftentimes see our life as a life of rest. And as Christians, our life should not be a life of rest, actually. We should have rhythms of rest. That's biblical. A life of rest is not biblical. And as I've reflected on my own life, and I recognize that I'm closer to the finish line, we've talked about this, than I am to the starting blocks. And it, actually, if you are in your late 30s or older, 
you are closer to the finish line, to the tape, statistically speaking, than you are to the starting blocks. And the question I had this morning is, is, that, is, is how are we to run the race? You know, and I'm, I'm constantly aware and I'm desirous of just wanting to be super intentional um, in my remaining days, weeks, months, or years. And I've talked about this before, but a, a Latin phrase that's meaning more and more to me every day is memento mori, remember death. Remember death. Because when we remember death, it actually should cause us to live more intentionally. When we remember death. We should remember death not to sulk about all the years under the bridge lamenting over mistakes made and years wasted. Because I can tend to do that, right? Dwelling on like, man, I wish I had that, that time over. We don't. We're to remember death so as we can run the race well and hit the tape leaning into the tape. Not limping through the tape. And to run in who God has uniquely made me to be. And my encouragement here today is that you would want to know how God has uniquely made you and that you'd want to run in that giftedness. That you would want to run the race in who God has made you to be for his glory and for the good of his people. And I know sometimes life gets tiring, doesn't it? And I, I sometimes I wonder what it would feel like or what it would be like for if I stopped working, if I didn't have this job. Yeah, it's a calling, but it's also a job. It's what, what pays for my family. What would happen if I stopped working, if I stopped serving, if I stopped ministering others? Is that maybe just for a moment I think about collecting seashells, as John Piper said, on the seashore. Just for the rest of my life, maybe playing golf every day. I'd have nothing to prepare, no three in the morning, Sunday mornings where I'm cramming at the last minute, no, nobody to minister to, nobody to shepherd, I can just live my life without any problems. And then I come to my senses, memento mori. The next generation needs to be encouraged. The next generation needs to be equipped. The next generation needs to be empowered to run, not walk in the unique way that God has made them in their unique calling by the power of the Holy Spirit. How about you? Where are you at this morning? Um, If you have been a Christian for a while, and I've seen this with Christians. Uh, We were talking about Christians last night that that, um, don't have a local faith community. They're, quote, on fire Christians with no community to be a part of. That's an oxymoron to me. But maybe you've been a Christian for a while. You're part of this body. You've been serving and ministering to others for a long time. But now you're tired. You're burnt out. And you're ready for some me time. You're ready for not just rhythms of rest, but you're ready for a life of rest. Today's message, in fact, this entire letter is for you. On the other hand, some of you are younger and you may not know or sure, you might not be sure how to serve and how to minister to others. You're sitting back because maybe you haven't been encouraged, you haven't been empowered. Maybe you don't even know what your place is in the church. You don't know what your place is in the kingdom. You don't know the unique way that God has wired you. Again, my prayer is that today's passage by the power of the Holy Spirit would minister to you. Let's talk about the purpose of this letter, the second letter to Timothy from Paul. It's to a young man, Timothy, probably in his mid-30s, 
But unlike the first letter, the focus on his first letter was primarily on the practical execution of Timothy's ministry as a pastor and the proper conduct and ordering of the church. This letter, it's short. It's four chapters. It's 83 verses. It's actually very different than the first letter. Paul, Paul wrote this letter while in shackles, in a cold dungeon awaiting death. Paul writes as someone who is aware of being in the final days of his life, and thus he sums up his life for Timothy and all those of us who come after Timothy. Therefore, this epistle is what might loosely be called a last will and testament. This is Paul's swan song, last will and testament. The implied purpose of the letter is to inspire Timothy and all of Christ's followers to follow Paul's example by persevering in the midst of sufferings or in the midst of calmness of Christian life and ministry. Additionally, Paul's farewell words implicitly pass the torch of individual ministry to Timothy and ultimately to the church of all time. If there is a theme verse, I think it's 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. If there's a theme verse for the entire book, I think it's that. Let me read it to you. As for you, Paul writes to Timothy, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And this is important. He's speaking to Timothy to fulfill his ministry. You're not to fulfill my ministry. I'm not to fulfill your ministry. You're, you and I are to understand our unique ministry, our, our unique gifting, and fulfill that by the power of the Holy Spirit. She so says, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And then Paul says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. I'm dying. And the time of my de- departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will, accord, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You see, Paul is encouraging his young friend to persevere in gospel ministry regardless of suffering or circumstances. As I was reading through this something, I had like something click in my head. There's a couple of times where Paul encourages Timothy to endure. He says endure for the sake of the elect, for example, in chapter 2. But what's implied through this whole book is not endurance, but perseverance. Endurance means take it. Take it. Just, just take it. If, you know, whatever's coming at you, just endure it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Perseverance is offensive. It's moving forward. It's not just enduring. And the gospel doesn't move forward when we simply endure hard times. The gospel moves forward when we continue in the gospel, when we persevere in the gospel. When I move away from my notes, it's like, where in the heck am I? Paul tells Timothy, he says, I have finished the race. There's nothing more for me to do but to die well. But you, Timothy, you are still in the race. You, believer, you are still in the race. Life in Christ is metaphorically called a race, not because any particular Christian will win or lose. This is not a race necessarily to win or lose. But like a race, life is short. 
Some of us might have a life of a 100-meter sprinter where life is short. You go to the cemetery and you see people that lived a 100-meter sprint. And there's others, others of you that might live an ultramarathon. You might live for a long time. If you know what an ultramarathon is, it's anything over 29 miles, basically. Is that right, Eric? Ish? If you by faith hold the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus alone, you like me are already victorious. I want to remind you that. You are already victorious. Jesus won the race for us through his perfect life, through his sacrificial death and his victorious resurrection. He broke the tape, actually. He broke the tape so that we, through our union with him, are guaranteed what? Victory. We are guaranteed victory. If you are in Christ, he has broke the tape. The veil has been torn, and we have access to the Father, our Heavenly Father. We've been adopted forever. So running the race isn't some type of competition with a guy or gal next to you. Running the race is running it in victory. Every Christian faces the same glorious future that Paul did, where we will know the fullness of Christ's victory when we pass from this life to everlasting life. We already know Christ's victory, that that Jesus died and rose again to to conquer the, the power and the penalty of sin, to conquer the power of Satan, to conquer the power of death over us. but we will know the fullness of that victory when we pass from this life to everlasting life. And as we live out our sincere faith, as Paul calls it, we will in differing degrees face the same struggle to persevere until until death. The Puritan writer Edmund Barker wrote this. Every Christian hath to... When they like turn like old Puritan words, I mean, why can't they just turn it to English instead of keep using hath? Every Christian hath two great works to do in the world. What are they? To live well and to die well. I resonate with that. Second Timothy gives us a glimpse of someone who did both of these things. Paul lived well, now he is dying well, and he encourages Timothy and us, you and I, to follow that example. So let's look at verses one through two. Who is Paul? Paul immediately lays out his credentials. He immediately, not for Timothy so much. Timothy knows Paul better than anybody. But for us, for the church after Timothy, we have a good friend that actually, um, we were in God's word together, and she said, well, who's this Paul guy to tell me how to live my life? Well, here's who this Paul guy is. That he was appointed how? By the will of God. It was God who appointed him to speak for God and pen um, more than half of the New Testament. So Paul lays out his credentials. He states both the origin of his credentials, the will of God, and the object of his apostleship. The origin, he's the apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. His appointment or commission is from God. The object or purpose of his apostleship was to proclaim the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. The promise of new life now and everlasting life later in Christ Jesus. This is the believer's hope. That was the object of his apostleship was to proclaim the gospel, the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. You see, the gospel is good news for dead sinners. And it's good news for dying saints. If you know Jesus Christ, you are not a dead sinner. You are an alive saint. And you are also a dying saint. Last I looked, 
A lot of you in here are closer to the finish line than you are to the starting blocks. There is life and immortality only through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul emphasizes this promise and it seems to be appropriate as death stares him right in the face. Paul loved Timothy. He referred to Timothy as my beloved son. In the first letter in chapter 1, verse 2, he says, you are my true child in the faith. Paul more than likely led Timothy to Christ. Um, In Acts chapter 14, then confirmed in Acts chapter 16, that's why he's calling him my beloved son. He's a child of the faith. And we see in verses 3 and 4 here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says, I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. He says, I long to see you. It's a little bit confusing because the last time Paul saw Timothy, several years later, he said, I'd never see you again. That was on the shores of Ephesus. It was in Acts chapter 20. Let me just read it to you. This is the last time Paul and Timothy were together. Uh, Verse 28, pay careful attention. Paul gathered all the elders in Ephesus with Timothy being one of those. And he says to Timothy and the other elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Verse 32, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Verse 36 through 38. And when he said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. There was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul. They kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he spoke to them that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship and they put him on the ship. And now Paul is saying, I remember your tears and I long to see you that I might be filled with joy. Have you ever had that type of Christian relationship? Somebody that has been so far removed. Maybe somebody that you either led to Christ or they led you to Christ. You haven't seen them for years. I've got a friend like that in Denver, Chuck Cook, that led me to Christ through the Young Life Ministry. And I long to see him again. All I've got to do is pick up the phone. I guess I don't long that much. So Paul was Timothy's spiritual father and the one who entrusted Timothy was shepherding the church in Ephesus that Paul planted. The one thing probably that Paul and Timothy had in common, you ever had a friend, good friends, that, that without Jesus, it's like, man, I get, we really have nothing in common. Can you think of friends like that? But, but you're really um, good friends in Christ, but outside of Christ, you don't have a, a lot in common. And this was Paul and Timothy. What they had in common is they were both saved, they were both sons of the living God, and they were both called to pastor and to evangelize. Other than that, they were an odd couple. Paul was old, Timothy was young. Paul was bold and outgoing, Timothy was timid and most likely an introvert. Paul was sturdy and he rebounded well from frequent shipwrecks and beatings and starvations and more. Timothy, we're told, had a weak stomach. So we can conclude that Timothy by nature was not a missionary commando. He was not a superstar like Paul. He was, in fact, he was so un-Paul. He was like us. And I think I kind of introduced 1 Timothy the same way. And this gives me such great hope. Because you don't have to be Paul. You don't have to be Timothy. You don't have to be Eunice. You don't have to be Lois. You need to be you. And that's how God is going to use us. 
is being us. Oswald Chambers could well have had Timothy in mind when he wrote the following. God can achieve his purpose either through the absence of human power and resources or the abandonment of reliance on those resources. All through history, God has chosen and used nobodies because their unusual dependence on him made possible the unique display of his power and grace. He chose and used somebodies only when they renounced dependence on their natural abilities and resources. This cold and lonely old apostle was warmed by the thought of his beloved young disciple. Paul's a big fan of Timothy's, and he knows that God has gifted Timothy and called Timothy in a very special way. So right out of the shoots, he encourages in verse 2, Timothy and us today with a beautiful triple blessing, which is both a promise and a prayer. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God. In, in invoking God's grace upon Timothy, Paul referenced not only God's saving grace, but even more, God's sustaining grace. Do you know God's sustaining grace? If you know Jesus, you know his saving grace. Do you know his sustaining grace? And then there was an added word mercy. Paul's typical greeting is grace and peace, but he added the word mercy, and here it carries the idea of God's special care for a person in need. The Old Testament equivalent of this word is used multiple times in the Psalms with the idea of, being, of help in times of need. And this would have brought to mind the rich associations of this word, that God helps the helpless. He helps those who can't help themselves, actually. And peace, and peace, of course, is peace with God and salvation, and then peace for living. And his wish for Timothy, his hope for Timothy, his prayer was, was for interpersonal peace as he challenges Timothy to persevere in tough circumstances. So no matter how much God would give young Timothy, there would always be an unlimited supply of grace and mercy and peace, and there is for you and I as well. In verses 3 and 5, we get a glimpse into how each of these men, writer and recipient of the letter, had come to be who they are. These verses throw light on the providence of God and how God fashions men and women into who he wants them to be. Both Timothy and Paul grew up in religious homes. Paul's ancestors served God while they awaited the Messiah. Timothy's mother and grandmother were true Old Testament Jewish believers who understood the scriptures well enough to prepare themselves and Timothy to immediately accept Jesus Christ as a long-awaited Messiah when they first heard the gospel from Paul in chapter 14 of Acts in Lystra. Listen to this. In 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 15, Paul says to Timothy, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and, from how, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? That what Paul is telling Timothy is that his mom, his Jewish mom and his Jewish grandmother um, fed him the scriptures that led to salvation that his heart was prepared with Old Testament scriptures, and the gospel is all over the Old Testament. Everything in the Old Testament points to the cross of Christ. Everything in the New Testament points back to the cross of Christ. The most formative influence on each of us has what? It's been our upbringing. It's been our home, for better or for worse. The most formative influence, I know that's a lot of pressure on you parents, 
you've ever read a biography, it always starts with the person that's, that's being written about. It starts with their parents. It starts with their grandparents. Because every man and woman really is a product in some way, for better or for worse, of their upbringing. Nancy and I, there's been many times over the years where we will see exceptional young adults. And I'm not talking exceptional from a Christian standpoint. I'm talking about exceptional, maybe an exceptional um, athlete or an exceptional uh, business person or an exceptional, um, exceptionally kind man or woman. And what our first question is, is I want to meet their parents. I want to meet their parents. I want to know what went into them. I want to know how they were invested in. We always wanted to know. I remember going to um, uh, Jerome Dibzinski and um, and the reason that sounds familiar is that my daughter married his son, Jared Dibzinski. And I remember one time when they first joined Mountain View Community Church, um, Jared and his brother Josh and his other brother Jakey were just like the nicest kids. They were always dressed to the hilt. It was, yes, Mr. Hardy, no, Mr. Hardy. And so I took Jerome to lunch at Taco John's. I was going to say Taco Bell. Taco John's. I don't do Taco Bell. I don't even do Taco John's anymore. It's a pure vessel. I don't do it anymore. Uh, in and out burger um, Chipotle but I took Jerome and I took him to lunch I said, I said Jerome man I want to learn from you whatever you're doing with your kids I want to emulate and you know what he said to me he says don't look too close don't look too close and that was just really a humble response because they did a great job with their kids um, and uh, but it was a humble response because at the end of the day, it's all by God's grace. No man or woman can inherit his parents' faith. In the same way that he can inherit aspects of their personality, their athleticism, stature, drive for success. Um, if you walk behind my son Mitch and I and my dad and uh, probably Ollie someday, you're going to, I mean, like we all walk the same way. You can tell that we're related. And there's, that's, that's, just a, that's just the DNA in our family. But it's been said that there are no grandchildren in heaven. There's no grandchildren in heaven. In fact, for you young people here today that have not yet maybe um, been, you're, you have not been regenerated, your heart of stone has not been turned to a heart of flesh, you have yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus, um, you, your mom and dad aren't going to do it for you, actually. Um, they have a great responsibility to feed you the word of God, they have a great responsibility to pray for you. But at the end of the day, the hound of heaven, when he comes after you, he is wanting you to become a son or daughter of the living God. And you need to accept, actually, his forgiveness and live, live a life in complete submission to him. There are no grandchildren in heaven. With that said, a child can be led to faith, as I just mentioned, by his parents' teaching, example, and prayers. So God used indirect means to shape Timothy's life, his parents, his friends, his mentors, and now Paul turns to a direct gift of God that is given to him in verse 6 and 7. And what we learn here is that a man is not only what he owes to his parents, friends, and teachers, but what God has made him by calling him to some particular ministry and by endowing him with a spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts are not fiction. If you go to Romans 12, you go to 1 Corinthians 12, you go to Galatians, Ephesians, 1 Peter, you're going to read all about spiritual gifts. That every one of us have been um, 
given a particular ministry and we, we've been endowed with, an appro- with, with appropriate spiritual resources to exercise that ministry or that gift. So Paul tells Timothy in his first letter not to neglect the gift. Chapter 4, verse 14. And here in his second letter, he says, fan it or kindle it. For this reason, I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God. That's, that's charisma. That's the spiritual gift. Fan it. Fan the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For this reason, he says, I remind you. For what reason? For this reason. Whenever you see four, it means you've got to look backwards. You've got to see what came before. He says, for this reason, fan the flame of God. And for this reason, it's, it's, it's because he has faith. Verse 5, because of the faith in Christ that dwells in you. Because if you have faith, if you profess faith, if you've been regenerated, if you have God's spirit in you, you have a spiritual gift. For this reason, fan it. Kindle it. Every one of us, like Timothy, have been endowed with a spiritual gift or gifts. Paul does not explain what Timothy's gift is. Which, which allows for some ambiguity and for the principle here to be seen as applicable to all kinds of spiritual gifts. However, in Timothy's case, it's probably referring to the gift of preaching, teaching, and evangelizing. That's me. That, it's not that important. I just see that as Timothy's gift. Further, Paul says, Timothy's spiritual gift or gifts came to Timothy by the laying on of Paul's hands. That confuses me. If we receive God's spirit of salvation, and at the point of salvation, we are endowed with spiritual gifts, why does Paul say that Timothy received it by the laying on of my hands? Here's what I think it is. What I think it is, is that, that Paul and Timothy, Paul was such an encourager of Timothy, that he did life with Timothy. He observed the gift in Timothy. I've watched you. I've seen you preach. I've seen you teach. I've seen you evangelize. And I want to affirm that this is who God made you to be, and I want to encourage you in that. And I want to equip you in that gift, and I want to empower you to run and hit the tape leaning in, in that giftedness. There's a radio guy with the last name of Wilson. I think it's that I'm, I'm not like a favorite fan of his. A lot of you guys are. It's like I, don't, I just don't really connect with his speaking and his writing. And um, my PLI guys know that, Pastors Leadership Institute, the four of them know that. And so I was sharing with them a book that I've been encouraged by. It's a book by N.T. Wilson called Death by Living, Life is, meant to sp- to, Life is Meant to Be Spent. Death by Living, Life is Meant to Be Spent. And they start laughing at me because they, they said, do you know that N.T. Wilson is actually Doug Wilson's son? I said, are you kidding me? I would have never picked that book up. But I've been so encouraged by it, actually. So encouraged by it. It makes me want to pick up his dad's books now. And N.T. Wilson says this in this book, Death by Living, Life is Meant to be Spent. As a rule of thumb, when older people tell you something, believe them. It will save you the shock of discovering later that they were right, and it also, it also helps you dodge their smug gloating, he says. <laughs> so I want to encourage you, particularly younger people, that if you aren't quite sure of the way God's made you, if you're not quite sure of the beautiful gifts that God has given you in salvation, ask somebody older that knows you really well. Ask your parents. Ask your pastor. Ask your youth group leader. Ask your um, kids' ministry leader. And, and have them just affirm what they see in you. So now Paul reminds Timothy that as a steward of God's 
of his God-given spiritual gift, he could not let it fall into disuse. Paul is telling Timothy, don't let this gift from God fall into disuse. You are to steward it. We just sang about this. We stu- we've sang about things God has given us. And one of the things that God has given us is a spiritual gift, and we're to steward it. And the way that you steward something is what? You use it for God's glory. You don't hide it under a bushel. You use it. You run with it. You see, spiritual gifts tend to fade in strength when they're not used and they're not encouraged. So Paul says, fan it. And fan into flame literally means to keep the fire alive. And we don't know if Paul was unsatisfied with Timothy's level of current faithfulness. Just like I'm standing up here, like I have no like dissatisfaction in, in any maybe unfaithfulness not using your gifts because I trust that's between you and the Lord. But the way that the wire, God has wired me and I think the other pastors, when we see something in you, when we see something in you, we're going to encourage you in it. We're going to say that, that um, especially if you're not doing anything to serve um, the local body of Christ, we're going to help you find something. And if, and if your spiritual giftedness is giving, we're going to say, pull out your checkbook and write a check. No, we're not going to do that. <laughs> and by the way, if you're new here, we, the pastors don't know who gives what. And it's so freeing to me, actually, because I don't trust myself. So he says, fan into flame, literally keep the fire alive. And then, so after giving Timothy the appeal to fan the gift of the spirit, the, 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 the spiritual gift, Paul tells Timothy the reason why. Here's why you should fan it. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So for these other reasons, just skip this, Gordon Fee as a commentator, and he's right in establishing that spirit here. God gave us a spirit. In verse 7, should not, it should have a capital S, actually. And it is, in fact, referring to the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 7 is not speaking about the human spirit or an attitude that God has given us, but to the Holy Spirit. So for these reasons and others, the NIV, I think, states it correctly. For the Spirit of God gave us, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. This fits perfectly with verse 6 and explains it. In that, verse, in that verse, Paul urges Timothy to fan the flame of the gift of God, his giftedness in ministry. The basis for this appeal goes back to the original gift of the Spirit, given it conversion. I mentioned this. When we don't exercise our gift, it goes dormant, actually. It goes dormant. It tends to fade. And you and I, if we don't fan the flame, we're going to miss great blessings, actually. Because God has given that gift to you and I for his glory, for the good of his people. And when we're running in who God made us to be, it's one of the greatest blessings after salvation that you will ever have. And when you stop using that gift... A gift turns to ashes, and it needs to be fanned. Maybe you are experiencing right now today those strange and sometimes terrifying inner workings that come when God is calling you to step out and serve him. I know some of you are. Some of you have approached me with ideas that you've had. I want to encourage you to step out 
and serve him. And for some of you, it may call for a dramatic change, maybe a change of job, a, job, a change of vocation. I know one young man in this body that actually is, was surprised to find out, actually, through the confirmation of some people that God has called him into vocational ministry. He's being called to the ministry of Fellowship of Christian Athletes, whereas right now he's, he's got a, he's got, um, a, a tent-making job. For some of you, um, it's doing exactly what you're doing right now. It's working for a high-tech company. It's self-employment. It's electrician. It's cleaning houses. But God has given you a gift that he wants you to use right where you're at. A particular spiritual gift was given to Timothy. And a particular spiritual gift has been given to you and I. 1 Corinthians 12, I'll finish up with this. Paul says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. Paul says, I want you to be informed. He says, I want you to know what your gift is. Whatever it is. And run with it. And he goes on to say, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit or spiritual gifts for the common good. You see, your spiritual gift is not for you to hang on to. It's for the edification of the body, for the glory of God, and to reach people in our surrounding community. Every one of us, brothers and sisters, is out of the starting blocks. Every one of us. We've been given gifts to run the race well for his glory and for the good of his people. I want you to remember the race has been won. And I want to encourage you as I um, invite Pat up and pray, I want to encourage you that if, um, if, if God's spirit is pricking your heart in any way to minister in ways that you're not ministering now, talk to Pat, talk to Chris, talk to myself, talk to John, talk to your community group leader. Um, one of the things that we try not to do here is like, uh, like massive recruiting. We, we want to know what God has made you to do. And then we want to we help you serve there. And just a quote I want to end on is, how many seeds will you and I get into the ground before we ourselves are planted in the ground? What a great joy and privilege it is to be ministers of the gospel together for God's glory and the good of his people. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we bless you. God, we thank you that um, that you didn't just um, save us to live a a, uh, boring, um, useless life ready to one day limp to the finish line and then live in heaven one day with you. Lord, you have given us a glorious purpose on this track called life. And I thank you that we run this race knowing that the victory has already been won. 
And I pray, God, that, that the knowledge that the victory has already been won by your perfect life, sacrificial death, and, re- and victorious resurrection, God, I pray that it would just cause us to want to run for your glory, not to gain anything, but because we already possess everything in Christ Jesus. And God, I do want to pray. Just I'm praying too much. God, I just praise you so much. You're so good. Thank you for hearing my prayers. Thank you for what you're doing in this church. May you receive all the glory, the power, and the honor now and forevermore. God's people said, amen.